Welcome to the Jeremiah Patterson Show, and thank you for joining me today. There is a lot of news to get to, and it has been a very long week. If anything, the news cycle has definitely not slowed down this week. There has been lots of, lots of news. So yeah, there is a lot to cover, and I promise we will get to it. But I want to begin tonight uh, with a story that made me jump out of bed when I first learned about it. After I woke up on Tuesday, I checked my notifications on my phone, and most of them were talking about some sort of explosion in Beirut, Lebanon, and it was captured on camera. At this point, I was still mystified and not exactly sure what had happened. So I got out of bed and I checked on my laptop, and then I saw the video. And then, when I saw that video, I was speechless because of what I had just saw. So that's how my Tuesday morning began, and it was honestly terrifying. There's been lots of national and international news coverage of this, but it may only last for a while. And you know, even if this story loses attention, it's still the aftermath of this that's quite bad. I mean, what's going to happen to all those people who were displaced because the explosion blew out their windows? Who's responsible for what transpired here and how did this happen? I mean, these are questions that need to be asked in order to find answers for what happened here. The explosion was enormous and reportedly could be felt 200 miles away. And when you think about it, that's a massive explosion if it could be felt that far. And before that disastrous event happened, Lebanon itself already had a crisis on its hands. There have been more than 5,000 coronavirus, there, Lebanon reports more than 5,000 coronavirus cases with 65 people dead and simultaneously rising coronavirus infections. Doctors have said that their health system is, quote, beyond its capacity, end quote. One doctor told one of the local news stations there that his ICUs are now full and if the situation continues like this, then his hospital will no longer be able to accommodate patients that require intensive care. Lebanon now reports 100 coronavirus cases a day, and their health minister says the rationale behind the rising cases is because people are essentially ignoring them. Last year in October, they, last year in October there were about uh, at least 70 protests that were transpiring across Lebanon because of perceived government corruption, austerity measures, and a lack of basic infrastructure. The Guardian reports, quote, tap water is not safe to drink and electricity blackouts occur daily, end quote. Those large protests inevitably forced the prime minister out of office, but little was done after his departure. The Guardian continues, quote, Blackouts worsening, the economic crisis deepening, and food prices are climbing up to about 80%. Nearly half of the country lives below the poverty line, and 35% are out of work. End quote. Meanwhile, there have been some regional conflicts in the past, a few decades or so. Between 1975 and 1990, 120,000 people were killed, which then rose to about 1 million. When that enormous explosion transpired in Beirut, the president called it, quote, an attack. Just to be clear, the president of the United States called it an attack, President Donald Trump, which is simply false and just inconceivable. But the death toll there has continued to rise after that after that enormous explosion transpired. Um, it, it has continued to rise past 100, and the wounded is just an astronomically high number. The New York Times reported that the hospital started turning people away because of already being at full capacity from the coronavirus, and then suddenly a spontaneous enormous explosion occurs, which inevitably causes more people to come to the hospitals for treatment. So the so it, it's, it's just been a chaotic time in Lebanon as far as you, as citizen of Lebanon, receiving medical treatment. The new prime minister of Lebanon, 
says, quote, I will not rest until we find the person responsible for what happened, hold them accountable and impose the most severe penalties, end quote. Beirut is the capital of Lebanon and the home to more than 2.4 million people. Since that explosion, 60 people have been reported missing and the search for survivors has continued. Yesterday, the United Nations warned that Lebanon now has a humanitarian crisis on its hands. And, you know, since that explosion, we are learning, we, we are beginning to learn new details about what exactly transpired. For instance, New York Times reported yesterday, quote, ship sighted in Beirut blast hasn't sailed in seven years. We found it, end quote. Here's a subheadline from that piece, quote, the explosive material responsible for the August 4th blast in Beirut was carried there by the ailing cargo ship, ship Roses in 2013. Here is what happened next, end quote. Then it continues. So this is essentially laying out the rudimentary information that you need in order to comprehend this information. I should also tell you that this is a New York Times investigation and remarkably researched uh, and provides us some insight on what exactly transpired here. Quote, on November 21st, 2013, at 11.27 a.m., a leaky ship arrived in Beirut's port. It never left, and its volatile cargo would lead to tragedy in the city almost seven years later. The Roses was loaded with 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate, which is believed to have blown up most of the port and damaged large parts of the city when it ignited in the warehouse on August 4th. The former captain of the ship, Boris Prokashev, told the New York Times that he heard from other sailors that the Roses sink in 2015 or 2016. This time frame turned out to be inaccurate. Using satellite imagery, analysis, and ship tracking data, our visual investigations unit went back to went back into time. Followed the ship with that, excuse me, followed the ship that brought the disastrous cargo to Beirut. We found its exact location, where it remains hidden a short distance from Beirut's ground zero. The timeline of, of, and location of the Roses in Beirut gained new rele relevance on Friday as Lebanon's president, Michael Ahn, said that an investigation into the incident will also focus on how the explosive materials entered and were stored in the area. End quote. All right, so based on the first three paragraphs, we know that the ship arrived on, on November 21st, 2013, and never left. Seven years later, the result of that ship's infinite stay cost hundreds of people their lives, and remember, the death toll is still rising, and wounded thousands. The New York Times then accurately tracked down that ship when it initially sunk, after the captain's recollection from his sailors were proven inaccurate. Finally, the president of Lebanon announces that there will be an investigation and it will mostly concentrate on how those explosive materials enter the port in the first place and stay there for seven full years. So those are the first three paragraphs sort of encapsulated. And then the New York Times gives us five more subheadlines. Number one, final voyage. Quote, the Roses left for its last journey from Batumi, Georgia in September of 2013. Its cargo was destined for... Mozambique, but the captain was ordered to make an unscheduled stop in Beirut to take an additional freight. Captain Prokashev said they needed to make extra cash to pay for their passage through the Suez Canal. Lawyers for the ship's creditors said the additional cargo was supposed to be transported to Jordan. End quote. So, these are the five elements of the story. And in that paragraph, we learned that the ship was actually headed for, 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 for a different country. 
but then spontaneously made an unscheduled trip in Beirut to collect some extra cash. Also the, adi- the, also, the additional cargo that was on that ship was supposed to be transported to the country of Jordan, but that did not happen. Here's number two, seizure. Quote, in Beirut, port authorities impounded the 27-year-old ship after they found multiple deficiencies, according to a Maritime News article from 2014. The captain and some of his crew were ordered to stay on board. End quote. The New York Times also lays out in that in that in that paragraph that a picture from 2014 shows the captain of that ship with some 2,750 bags of ammonium nitrate in that port. We now know that these tons of bags eventually blew up. The warehouse pictures also know also show that the name of the company is quote Rostavi Azat LLC of Georgia. End quote. This is also listed on the 2013 shipping documents for the voyage. According to the Times, the ship's transponder sent its last position on August 7, 2014, the same month the crew was released. Here's number three, abandoned. Quote, The Roses was left behind and Lebanese authorities transferred its cargo to a warehouse in the port. In 2015, the ship was moved 1,000 feet up the pier, where it remained for about three years. Satellite images show a ship matching the dimensions of the Roses, with open cargo bays indicating it is empty. Then, here we get to number four. Abandoned. Quote, The Roses was leaking badly and began sinking in February of 2018. Within days, the ship was fully submerged. Stephen Wood, a satellite image expert at space technology company Maxar, analyzed an image from from February 18th of 2018 for the Times. He used multiple spectral imagery that can penetrate water and better reveal submerged objects and features. The resulting image shows the ship in great detail, being despite being underwater. So here are three major questions that I have about that reporting. Number one, if the ship was leaking badly, then why didn't anyone say anything? Why didn't anyone report it? Number two, was the ship being monitored at the time and who was paying for it to sit there for that many years? And I mean, these are questions that are going to have to be answered. I mean, this is something that's going to have to be thoroughly investigated. The president of Lebanon said that multiple administrations before him received warnings about the materials from that ship and essentially did nothing. I mean, why did they not act if they were briefed on what could potentially turn deadly? The president has also ordered an investigation into this explosion and 20 port officials have been detained. It is just ambiguous of what exactly has transpired here as far as what were the causes of this explosion. Uh, 300,000 people are now homeless. The damage of this covered half of the entire city and could cost up to $15 billion to repair. There has now been reporting that health issues may be similar to those seen after 9-11. Meanwhile, the protests have continued as they are still demanding answers and action for what has transpired here. When that enormous explosion uh, transpired, a nurse was saving newborns, and she did it expeditiously. According to the National, quote, a Lebanese nurse is being hailed as a national hero after rescuing three newborns from the debris and taking them five kilometers to safety after the Beirut port explosion destroyed her hospital on Tuesday, end quote. Her name is Pamela Zinaun, and she describes uh, a very traumatic event. She said ceilings collapsed, rooms were strewn with rubble, and equipment and furniture were thrown to the floor. She said, quote, 
I was not able to go back in because all the doors were closed. I went to another door on the floor and so many colleagues were bleeding from injuries on their hands, heads, and backs. We were very scared and could not understand what had really happened until then. End quote. She goes on to say, quote, I called two doctors for help. One of the doctors grabbed a baby and I was able to grab a twin brother and a sister and another baby, end quote. She said that a father who was visiting his newborn daughter helped lift up steel shelves that had fallen on the incubators, which is a machine, which is a machine that premature babies are put in to give them oxygen and to keep them warm. She said after that, she said after that father's help, she was then able to get the three babies out. The national reports that four of the hospital's nursing staff lost their lives that day, as well as 12 patients and one visitor. Uh, more than 100 doctors, residents, nursings, nurses, nurses, and administrative staff suffered wounds ranging from mild to critical, according to that hospital's website. Uh, Mrs. Zenown said that she can't explain how she was so calm and courageous during that chaos, but she said getting the babies out was her major priority. And she actually goes on to tell some, some parts of the story during that explosion, during that chaotic event. Quote, but with the elevators out of order, she and the doctors first had to carefully climb down four flights of stairs while carrying the babies. Quote, she said, quote, I couldn't feel my feet while climbing down the slippery stairs. I was scared of slipping or any of the babies slipping or me falling on them. I did not want to lose any of them and wanted to get them out safely. All emergency exits were blocked, and so we had to dig our way out. We reached the ground. The scene was horrible. Doctors and nurses were on the floor, and patients were running in fright. We couldn't do anything, she said. The hospital staff are trained to quickly go to the emergency room in such, in such situations, but when they got there, it looked like nothing like an ER because of all the damage from the blast, Miss Enown said. Residents, resident doctors were stitching patients' wounds on the floor and using compression bandages to stop bleeding. There were no medical materials to work with, she said. Amid the confusion and still clutching the three newborns, she stopped to answer the emergency room phone, a moment that was captured by the photojournalist Bilal Jawich. Missy now carried the newborns into the street, looking for a place to take them. A doctor named Nadim Hajal helped her by taking one of the infants. A nearby hospital could not admit the babies because it had been destroyed. Quote, we walked across the streets of, I believe this is pronounced Akrafia area, with the babies in our hands. I asked bystanders who volunteered to help to give us their shirts to keep their to keep the babies safe. The three newborns are under two kilograms and each two two kilograms each, and I had to cover them up and keep them warm, otherwise they wouldn't live. Quote, we walked around five kilometers until we found a car that could help us take the babies to a hospital a bit outside Beirut, she said. Quote, Looking back on her actions, Missy Noun said she was driven driven by fear of losing the babies. Quote, I was too scared. The reason behind all what I did was to get the trio to safety. I would not have been able to stand that situation had I lost any of them. During all this, my main concern was to keep them breathing and unharmed. End quote. Once again, just this 
enormous explosion in Beirut, Lebanon that transpired this week on Tuesday. After an elderly woman's home, after that explosion transpired and after an elderly woman's home was eradicated by the explosion in Beirut, she sat and played at her piano, which was one of the most hopeful and gratifying moments. Here she is. There is lots of solidarity in the streets after this horrifying explosion transpired. People are coalescing and cleaning up of what has been destroyed. Joyce Karam is a reporter for The National and a professor at George Washington University, and she also grew up in Lebanon. She joins me next. Stay with us. to sacrifice. We step up to do our part. On the home front. On the front lines. To lend a helping hand and hold each other up. We are resilient, vigilant, and we'll get through this because we're better together. Even if we're a little farther apart. Joining me now for the interview is Miss Joyce Karam. She's she grew up in Lebanon. She's a reporter for the National, located in Washington D.C., and she's also a professor at George Washington University. Miss Karam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jeremiah. My first question is: Were you or anyone you know um, in Beirut when the explosion happened? Uh, oh yes, Lebanon is a very small country. I was actually uh, chatting with with a friend of mine, um, and she sends me an audio, and uh, she says, "Joyce, oh my God, uh, I don't know what happened. Everything is shaking. Something big has exploded." Hmm. Uh, and from there, you know, we started seeing the videos on Twitter. Um, and I actually have relatives of mine who were injured in the uh, explosion. Uh, uh, you know, uh, one of them has a very bad uh, back injury. Uh, two of them, you know, one on the neck, one on the arm, uh, they're recovering now. Uh, but 
uh, it's hard to find uh, anyone, uh, any Lebanese today who has not been impacted or doesn't know people who were impacted uh, by that explosion. Mm. Uh, as you know, you know, the country has been through a lot. Like I grew up in Lebanon during the war. We've seen war, uh, we've seen occupation, we've seen uh, invasions. But, but what happened on August 4th, uh, that explosion, we've never seen anything like that. It was was just uh, the magnitude of it, mm-hmm. uh, the videos. This is, this is something uh, on the scale of the devastation and the impact on the, con- uh, on the country. It's very uh, big and it's, uh, it has brought a shock to the country. It has brought a shock and a sense of trauma to, to, to people who, uh, who are affected uh, by it. I have been checking your Twitter account consistently for more information on this situation in there in Lebanon. And I was just astonished by the fact that uh, the army there is beating protesters, protesters, excuse me. Um, are, are, are the protests there peaceful and what exactly provoked this? Yeah, uh, so it's very, uh, I have to say, it's very unfortunate to see, uh, you know, today tear gas, rubber bullets and beatings of protesters in in, in Beirut. Um, The protests have been ongoing since uh, last October. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're now in Lebanon, if it's you or me, you know, you're you're definitely seeing an economic uh, crisis. Uh, If you want to, you know, for example, the pound uh, of meat is around $30. Uh, people can cannot cannot afford the basics anymore. Uh, unemployment among the youth is over fifty percent uh, mm-hmm. in the country. So uh, there's already an economic crisis in in Beirut, uh, and uh, you know we've been dealing with governments that are corrupt for decades now. So mm-hmm. people are just fed up, and they've they're taken. Uh, to the street, they're saying we've had enough. This is this is not uh, the country we want to, uh, uh, you know, uh, build our lives in. If it's gonna continue to be uh, that corrupt, so in a sense, this is the sentiment that's triggering uh, the protests. Uh, the explosion itself, the scale of the devastation, six thousand wounded. Almost uh, half a million uh, are homeless or displaced mm-hmm. because their their houses are uh, destroyed. Their their the windows are uh, you know they they have no windows. Most of the stuff is is gone. Uh, so that's people are just we have nothing to lose and we're gonna go all the way. And today they decided that they're going to take over government buildings and go to areas that was barricaded. They, they, uh, they destroyed the barrier uh, separating, you know, near the parliament area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is what's, what's ongoing. Um, as, as with many street movements, we don't know where is this going to lead or if there is a plan, if there is organization. We really don't know. But we do know, Jeremiah, that people are just fed up and uh, the security and the army, they're following orders. Mm. Uh, but we're also seeing some security and, and also, uh, you know, firefighters are saying, no, we don't want to uh, 
uh, throw water. We don't want to beat the protesters. And there were some instances I saw on Twitter today where they actually broke ranks and joined uh, the protesters. So uh, this is this is yeah. This is the country is going through a lot, uh, and we really don't know. Even for those who follow Lebanon a lot, we don't know what's going to happen. But it's 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 different. It feels different. It feels like a big movement uh, is is afoot. It feels that change has to come because nobody is happy with the current reality on the ground. Um, I know that the explosion was enormous. Is there an expectation that the death toll from this will be an astronomical number? Uh, so the, the scary part, too, is there are still people missing. Mm. Mm-hmm. That are un- These are people unaccounted for. Uh, the death toll is now, I think, 158 and uh, over 6,000, I think, injured. Uh, but there are, I think, tens still missing. I think over twenty, and we don't know. Uh, like people don't know where these, uh, the, where they are. Uh, they're trying to. There are some bodies that have not been identified because of the, uh, the intensity of of uh, of the explosion. Uh, so. The story of the explosion is definitely not over. We still, it's it's unraveling as as we speak. Um, we would be lucky if the death toll uh, remains below two hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even without the death toll being, uh, you know, too high over two hundred, the magnitude of this, when you look at Beirut. A city, you know, I I went to college there. Everybody uh, knows the port. It's forever changed. Mm-hmm. This is this is a turning point for the city. The, we, we won't recognize it anymore because the uh, the front of Beirut, the port, and the old buildings behind it, it's gone. Yeah. Uh, so phys- physically. The, the Beirut already changed. I think socially, I think uh, with the street movements today, uh, political and social uh, change could be coming. Economically, it's much more devastated. Uh, so this is, you know, uh, historic and unprecedented uh, to see happening in, in, in the Lebanese capital. Yeah. Um, it, it was just reported that the president of Lebanon said that multiple administrations before him were briefed on this and nothing was done. Um, as far as people now protesting and wanting the leaders to be held accountable for this, why hasn't anything been done to prevent this lethal event from transpiring? Very good question, Jeremiah. We don't know. It's, it's almost, um, it's really shocking that... Um, 2,700 tons of explosives are being stored at a port next to uh, food terminals, and the government has not done anything about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just this government, it's also previous uh, governments, but that's just further evidence on the, uh, on the uh, tail, on the line of corruption uh, that that goes too deep in, in, in Lebanon, that this is a country uh, ruled by mafia lords, by people who, uh, who don't like accountability, by people who don't appreciate 
transparency and are there to serve uh, themselves. So uh, the upheaval we're seeing in the streets today, uh, it's not asking for big, uh, you know, foreign policy changes or anything like that. It's mostly we want an end uh, to corruption. That's what the protesters are saying. And uh, if, if the government is serious, about meeting the protesters' needs, it should start by accountability, by telling the people uh, what happened. We still don't know what happened at the port. Mm. We still don't know why uh, 2,700 tons of uh, uh, nitrate, uh, ammonium nitrate, were stored uh, were stored there. We still don't know what triggered the uh, explosion. So. Uh, there is no transparency, there is no accountability, and there is no trust in, in this government and in this political elite. And uh, just people uh, want that to change. As far as the coronavirus pandemic, Beirut has more than 5,000 coronavirus cases. Um, how are hospitals going to cope with the extra patients and a potential overflow? It's a nightmare. I mean, I feel all of my answers are just doom and gloom, but it's very bad. I yeah. mean, the, the, the spike in coronavirus cases uh, was evident in July. Uh, the cases, I think, tripled uh, in, in Lebanon. Uh, and now, after that, 6,000 wounded uh, and other cases is just the, the most of the hospitals are getting at full capacity. Uh, mm-hmm. one of the, uh, you know, my relatives who, uh, was injured, he's a doctor at a hospital that's very close to the port. So that hospital already lost, um, a uh, lot of its capacity to, uh, to operate because of the explosion. So we're really looking at a, uh, really nightmare scenario and, and when it comes to, uh, medical capacity and treating with several crises at the same time. Uh, I think the Western countries who want to help and who are sending help, they're making sure it goes to the Lebanese Red Cross and to a medical institution, to the UN uh, food program that can mm-hmm. help uh, overcome that uh, you know, deficit and that uh, uh, pressure uh, on the system, on the medical system. But it's, this is a very big challenge, and we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Even if the story loses national and international attention, people there are still going to need help. Um, as far as the 300,000 who are now homeless, thousands have been injured and hundreds are dead. How do you think this will affect, um, how do you think this will affect Beirut, being that their economy right now is not looking good? This is a very uh, dark chapter in, in, in Beirut's history. Uh, you know, following the war, uh, there has been efforts to rebuild Beirut, to, to, to bring it back as, uh, you know, Swiss, Switzerland of the East. Mm-hmm. That's what they used to call it. Uh, right now, it looks, uh, uh, you know, like uh, Hiroshima of, of, of the East. It's yeah. not... the. the the city has lost its its uh, its spark even before the the explosion because of the economic uh, crisis. So, if change does not happen in Beirut politically, if we don't see better governance and accountability, 
uh, we are, uh, I, I don't see any good outcomes if, if that doesn't happen because no international country now, nobody wants to come in and say, here is a million dollar without knowing that this, this money will go to the people, mm -hmm. without knowing that this money will be uh, well spent. So uh, this is a very hard juncture uh, for for Lebanon, for, for Beirut. Um, on top of an economic crisis, we are desperate for international help, uh, but we are also desperate for change, for uh, good governance that we've been waiting for now all my life, you know, and, mm. and it hasn't come. So um, we'll see if, if this changes matter, because it doesn't, it's, it's things are only going to go uh, south from here. Mm -hmm. um, as, as far as holding the leaders accountable in Beirut, is there an upcoming election that the people of Beirut can decide what new leaders can govern? Yeah, this is actually a very good observation. The protesters want election. They want uh, the ballot boxes uh, mm. to open, to go to, to call for change. But the people who are in power are resisting uh, a new election. And then their term doesn't end, I think, till end of 2021. Uh, so so it's it's uh, it's the typical push and pull between between protesters and uh, uh, political elites. Uh, so if the protests are successful and if they want to lead to uh, democratic change, that would have to go through elections. Mm. Uh, one of the ideas proposed, because Lebanon is a parliamentary, a parliamentary system, um, you know, unlike the U.S., which is a presidential uh, system, mm -hmm. is to hold early parliamentary elections and people can vote for new uh, representatives. Uh, this is a very important litmus test. Um, to see if the protests succeed or not, if we see early elections or not, because this is the only path uh, to change. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, you know, we're looking at uh, just not as as, as good uh, outcomes. Uh, as you know, we have had our war from 1975 till 1990. Mm -hmm. uh, so conflict is, is, is also possible. Uh, we are looking at, you know, more poverty. Uh, you can't get now anything to the country. There is no port. There is, and, and our border is closed with Syria and our border is closed with Israel. So it, it could also mean a big um, uh, food and supply uh, problem. Uh, so hopefully election... Uh, you know, a push for early election could be the way forward. Um, but yeah, it's not going to be easy and the political elite will uh, resist it. Hmm. On Thursday, you published an article that read, quote, U.S. to send three aid flights to Lebanon, end quote. The lead from that article is, quote, U.S. Central Command on Thursday said it was sending three shipments of aid to Lebanon after the explosion that shattered half of the city of Beirut, end quote. I was wondering if you could explain what this means for Beirut as far as external resources being sent in. 
So uh, the U.S. government is sending aid, but the U.S. officials we spoke to, they were adamant that this aid is not going to the Lebanese government. It's going to the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're sending infrastructure help. They're sending food help. Uh, they're sending a humanitarian uh, help that's going to go to uh, NGOs on the ground and to the U.N. Uh, food program. Uh, but this is not going to be enough. I mean, this is yeah. uh, a, a country in, in, in crisis. So they're also looking at the medium term, uh, which institutions they can work with. Uh, does the, the government make it or does it collapse? Uh, so they're having the same conversation you and me are having in, in, in some way is mm-hmm. uh, what can be done. And I don't think anybody has an answer to that. I think um, in a few days, the French government is holding a big uh, fundraising uh, conference for uh, Lebanon. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they will also be uh, addressing the same questions. Who to send uh, the money to? Who to send the aid to? If we send them to the government, uh, the people may never uh, see them because of Mm -hmm. corruption, uh, because of all... Uh, the issue. So without addressing this corruption question, uh, just forget it. It's it's not, there is no uh, uh, solutions. There is no long-term or medium-term solutions unless you address the, the, the governance and the corruption issue. Um, as far as the explosion, the damage could cost up to $15 billion. Um, I, I was cons- I'm concerned if Beirut has the resources to pay for this, being that, as you say, there is corruption at the top echelons of the federal government in that in that country. Yeah, no, it doesn't doesn't at all. It doesn't have uh, the resources. It doesn't have uh, uh, the the strategic vision uh, to rebuild. So Jeremiah, for example, there has been efforts to reform. Uh, the port to to make things better there, uh, but it couldn't be done because not everybody wants uh, transparency uh, at the port because a lot of smuggling happens. Mm-hmm. That's how these nitrate explosives may have gotten uh, in there in the first place. Uh, so right now, uh, this bill of uh, fifteen billion, yeah, no, Lebanon as a country has. I think the number is 86 billion uh, budget deficit. Mm. So it already uh, is behind and cannot pay that. Soon the government the government will not be able to pay salaries to the military to the uh, to the security. So in no way we can survive without uh, outside help and outside help is not going to come without a reform. Uh, plan so in no way we can survive without reforming uh, our best hope is the the pressure from the streets will will bring uh, political change will bring reforms and that this explosion will will change the game uh, in Lebanon uh, otherwise uh, I don't know otherwise I, I I really don't know last time I was in Beirut was in October and now we're not sure if we if we can we can make it. I, I, I don't know. It's it's very hard to think about and to contemplate what would happen if if Lebanon mm-hmm. cannot rebuild and if this will be the the new 
the new state of affairs there. Mm. Once again, my guest is Ms. Joyce Karam. She's a reporter. She actually grew up in Lebanon. Uh, she's a reporter for The National and a professor at George Washington University. Uh, Ms. Karam, thank you so much for coming on the show and really sharing sharing your knowledge about this topic and sharing some, some interesting stories with us. Great talking to you, Jeremiah. Hopefully one day you can visit and we'll have a conversation in, in, in Beirut or Washington. Thank you. All right, we'll be right Take back. Care. In this world where people are staying at home, many of life's moments are being put on hold. At Carvana, we understand that for some, getting a car just can't wait. That's why the new way to buy and sell a car is also the safer way. At Carvana, you can do it all 100% online from home with a touchless delivery and pickup process to keep you safe. And for even greater peace of mind, all Carvana cars come with a seven-day return policy. So if you need to keep moving, it's our goal to keep you safe. Check out Carvana, the safer way to buy a car. Welcome back. So because of the capacity of so much news and so much news that has transpired this week and all that I want to cover, I'll be doing a part two tomorrow. So uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to share this podcast with your family and friends and join me tomorrow for part two of the news coverage that transpired this week. Have a great day and I'll see you tomorrow.